good to see you guys. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, if this is your first time at Fathom, we hope it's um, an amazing time for you. We hope you get a chance to connect and grow in your faith as well as in family and community and an opportunity to take a next step in your faith. And we're just excited about what God's doing here. Uh, last week we got started on a new series called Relationships Sinking or Actually Sailing is really what we're shooting for. And uh, really just over the whole month, we're looking at David's relationships. And so we're going to get into that a little more today and, and look at, at really a, a big downfall moment. And, uh, you know, it, it's crazy as you kind of look around the world, it's not, it's kind of demoralizing to see leaders fail, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like as a pastor, like it, it's heartbreaking to see, like in the past two weeks, I've seen... Um, People that I've uh, been closely connected to in ministry either have some kind of like major moral failure, you know, a church that I'm familiar with, a mega church, like pastor, like had an affair, like with his executive pastor, a female, and and um, so like that. And then there was this pastor in North Carolina who committed suicide, and I was like, oh my gosh. And then there's another very prominent pastor who's had to step away from ministry for ungodly conduct. And, like, that's, like, a little bit overwhelming for me. Like, it's a little bit heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. And I'm just like, Lord, like, if, if they're, like, doing their very best, I would hope, and, like, they're falling so short, they've been so faithful to preach. Like, that's, my, my heart's connected to, because we have the same calling to pastor and to lead. And, and it's not just in the church, but it's certainly in the church as well. And I think it's probably even more, I don't know, hits the median is more, I don't even know the word to use there, but uh, a little more shocking, I guess, because you just think of all people. But it's in politicians, it's, it's in, um, you know, sports leagues. I mean, we hear it on every single news station, someone in a prominent place of leadership is falling. It's a little bit shocking, a little bit disheartening, and it's been something over the past couple of weeks, I've just been like, wow, God, like, what's the cause of all this? And it's, I don't know if I have a great answer for that, and the purpose of today's message is not to get into all of that and like what causes these things, but I think there's an underlying element that I think could be at play in, in these type of um, situations, and there's many, but I, I think there's one element that, uh, that we'll highlight today, and um, to do that, we're going to go into the, uh, one of David's relationships. We're going to go into the story of David and Bathsheba. Some of you will be familiar with this, others will not be familiar with this, um, but we're going to be in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and, and again, in this series, we're kind of jumping all over the place. We're not necessarily going in chronological order. We're not going like he was when David was a baby, and then now he's king. We're just kind of jumping all over the place, and we're really paralleling these with our core values as a church, unconditional love, authentic community, service, and creativity. So each week, we're kind of paralleling these in that order with our core values. Last week we talked about David and Jonathan, unconditional love that they share, a real friendship, a bond that was there. And this week we're looking at David and Bathsheba, and we're talking about authentic community. And for those of you that know the story about David and Bathsheba, and you say authentic community, man, like, you know, how, does, how was David and Bathsheba authentic community? It was uh, the girl next door he had an affair with. Uh, how is that authentic community? Well, we're really going to be at less focusing on Bathsheba as the void of the other relationships, the things that he avoided to discuss uh, authentic community. Because I think that's what is possibly this underlying missing element in a lot of these cases, is that those leaders, we in this room, if we're not careful, we become really good liars, 
right? And that's the opposite of what authentic community is, is it's being honest with one another. At some point, that pastor or, or that political leader lied to someone somewhere. There was some environment where they didn't have accountability. They had a responsibility, but they kind of looked away from the responsibility looked a- and kept quiet the accountability, and they betrayed family, right? I mean, that, it hurts us. It hurts those that are closer because their trust has been betrayed at such a greater level. It hurts the husband, the wife. It hurts the kids more than anyone. And, and, and so I, I think this underlying issue or this underlying void is something that's a part of our core values and I think is a biblical principle um, for what we're to be as the church and as, as believers and it's authentic community. And community is not a buzzword. Like it, it is a buzzword now, but it's more than a, a buzzword. I believe it's a lifeline and a lifestyle. I believe it's a reflection of God's nature. I, I believe it's part of God's design, our human makeup, that we need to be known, not just by our Father, but uh, through others as well. Like be known to and by others. And it's a divine necessity for the unity of the church, for us to do what God's called us to do, to, to be real with one another. And, and I think if we were really honest, some of our experiences, not all of our experiences, but some of our experience, the, the, the least place we're authentic is church. Like, why, why is that? And well, it, we could talk about a lot of things. We could have a whole discussion on that. But, but many times, that's what it is. Like, this becomes, like, the, the one place in which we're the least authentic. Our anchor groups are the place, those are the people that we start lying to in, in better than any other place. And that's not what it should be. That's not what God desires for the church. So we're going to talk about getting real today a little bit and what that really looks like and really the absence. So let's begin to talk about David. And let me give you a little context for where we're at because we are jumping around. Let me give you a little context where we're at in David's life. Remember, he was a shepherd boy at one point. Remember, he's the guy who who defeated Goliath and he kind of rose up from nowhere out of the, the runt of a small clan from a small town. And uh, and, and, but that's not where he's at anymore. Like, David's now king. He's not fighting for influence. He's not growing in influence. He's respected by nations. He's not poor. He's not working for the king. He is the king. He, he's not just, you know, um, fighting for respect, but he has that. Um, he's been fighting battle after battle. He's been running from his life. He's not running for his life anymore. Things are kind of good up in the king's palace. Things are, are, are not too bad, but his, 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 um, his country's at war right now. And obviously, like, that's a, a big deal, a, a big burden. And so that's where we're going to pick up. And Bathsheba, like, just short context, she's the girl next door, you know. She's the girl next door uh, just doing her thing that has to respond to the king's beck and call. And this time it, it was that he could have an affair with her while her husband was off at war. So we're going to pick up at Second Samuel chapter 11. And where last week we, we kind of, you know, skimmed over like three chapters. Today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a broad kind of overview of what's happening in this chapter. But we're going to look at, at one sentence, at one decision, at one verse that is really a turning point um, in this whole story. And I think all of us, we've had things that we've done in our life that we're not proud of. There's things about our uh, our story that we're a little bit ashamed of, uh, things that aren't going to be the first thing that we lead off. It's not going to be what we put on our name tag. I'm Kyle, and you know, you fill in the blank for whatever yours is going to be. But your name would be different, obviously. So let's begin at 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
in the spring at the time when kings go off to war. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness, her period. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. So, lot to talk about here, okay? A lot to talk about contextually, a lot to talk about in the story and spiritually, and like, just a lot here. Well, here's the deal from here. Let me just tell you kind of the rest of the story. She gets pregnant. David's king, he can't afford to lose this position, right? Like, that's why there's so many cover-ups high up, is there's a lot more to lose, right? But even in kind of our world where we're not king and we don't have all this wealth and we don't have all these people maybe looking up to us as much as David was at this time, even in our lives, like what, what's the first thing we do? Like we're kind of worried because Beckett's, you know, he's three and a half. And so now he's starting to figure out like how to cover stuff up. It used to be like, hey, did you do that? Yeah, yeah, I did that. <laughs> like no big deal to just tell us. But now he's hitting this point. And for most of us, like we hit this point when we're like three or four and we never return from it. We never take responsibility and we're never honest enough with people around us. Did you do that? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And, and it's just, it becomes like we can say what it is, but it's a lie. And so even at this stage, like we're trying to engage our son with this. Like, no, you're, you're lying. You do not lie. And these are the consequences for what happens when you lie. And these are, so we're going to look at some of those. Because at this point, David's got a lot to lose, and so what he does is he devises this great plan. He's like, all right, I'm going to bring Uriah, her husband, home. Like, people on the inside know what's going on. Like, there's always people inside on the top in a scandal, right? And, and so uh, he brings Uriah home, and he's like, oh, I'll just get him to sleep with his wife. He's been on a war. Of course he wants to have sex with his wife. So he, he brings him home, and Uriah is like so one with the men, like at war, like he's, he just sleeps at the gate. Like he's like, I'm not even going into my house. I'm not going to go drink. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to lay here. Why, why would I go in here and enjoy myself when all my compadres, my family are out there fighting war? Why would I do that? I have no idea why the king brought me home. So David's trying to do all these schemes to like get him to sleep with his wife, and, and it never happens. Tries a couple of different things, and it doesn't work. Uh, so he sends him home. This time, David... And like tells Joab, who's like one of the military commanders, he tells them, send Uriah to the front lines. This is basically, I mean, this is like crazy stuff. When I told you, like, if you need some, like, to get into the Old Testament, like, First and Second Samuel is a great place, like, because it's like filled with like betrayal and lies, and like, if you like soap operas, you will like First and Second Samuel. And so he sends him to the front lines to basically have him slaughtered because he knows that's going to be the first one to go down. He's like, then that'll help cover it up. I'll just have him killed, basically, in battle. So long story short, that happens. Uh, news hits you know, Bathsheba. Of course, she's distraught and mourning. Um, but that's, you know, David's like, okay, you done mourning? You want to be my wife? And basically, at those times, it wasn't like, we fell in love. It was like, king wants you to be his wife, so you're going to come be his wife. So then he, he had this guy killed, and now it's his, it's, he takes her to be his wife. Like, 
okay. So things are beginning to unravel. Like, remember, like, this seems like two different stories, doesn't it? Doesn't David feel like a completely different character than the guy we, we talked about who's been faithful and we'll look at next week and the week after? It'll begin to think, like, are these two different peoples? But I think if we look at our own life, I think we're the same way sometimes. Like, we have a mistake or we have something that we're not willing to be real about, and all of a sudden that becomes a lie and we become these two people, right? I have the people that I show everyone, and then I have the, the, the person that I really am. We have our best days, and we have our worst days. And that's kind of what we begin to see here. And so if we go back to verse 1, let's go to verse 1. And I, I want to look at one verse, one sentence, one decision that changes everything, and everything begins to unravel. I could give you more to the end of this story, where from this one decision... It would move to uh, a, a, from laziness to a lie to lust to um, murder to all these decisions. And it would go on where his in his family lineage would not be the same from here. And like he would go on, you know, to be the same lineage of Jesus. But like in his family, like there would be some crazy things going. Like one of his sons would rape one of his daughters, and then the other sons would go kill that son. Like it got crazier for a while. Like this was a time where everything was unraveling in David's life. You've probably had a moment like this. Maybe not like that where, you know, somebody raped and you had somebody killed. You probably haven't done that. Um, But you've had a moment in your life where like all of a sudden it's unraveling. That secret you've kept is unraveling. And, And this is kind of where David's at. And I think it starts right here at the beginning with in a very subtle, simple place, and that's kind of the slippery slope of sin. It's very subtle. In the time, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite. At the time when kings go off to war, David's a king. He's supposed to be going out to battle, and he chooses to stay home. Say, well, Kyle, that's like doesn't seem like a sin, and like I'm with you. Like it doesn't seem like all that bad of a sin. Dude's been working hard. Like he's kind of earned this place of king to like send somebody out. But like this was his family in the springtime. It was the beginning of the Hebrew calendar, and it was like the beginning of their year. So it was the beginning of the year is when springtime would happen, and kings went off to war to kind of set a statement. Like we're going to be in this. It kind of built camaraderie among the team. It was the people he was responsible to, the people he was accountable to. It was the reason that God had brought him up. As he had humbled himself, God had exalted him for this ministry, like for this place in his life. And and David, in this time, maybe he's just tired. There's a good excuse for it. We'll talk more about that. But I think it all kind of spurs from this one decision where everything begins to unravel. As if he wouldn't have been home, he wouldn't have had this moment where, and let's get real about Verse number two, like, you know, where he gets up in the middle of the night. Oh, there's a woman naked out there. I didn't have no idea. Like, she was next door. She probably bathed in that same spot every single day. Dude, don't act like an idiot. You knew exactly what you were doing. But if he never would have been home, that never would have happened. And don't forget about this. We talked about David and Jonathan. Jonathan's not living anymore. Best friends passed away. Like, who's his accountability now? Who's his brother now? Now he's just kind of in this place, and that's the thing about leaders a lot of times is they get in this place where 
They don't have accountability anymore. They don't have this friendship anymore. It's one of the loneliest places you can be. So in one decision, I believe that David avoids family. He avoids the men that he's accountable to, he's responsible to out there, this, this responsibility of his to go out there. And I think he avoids the ministry that God had called him to, this place in his life, the purpose why he was there, to do what kings did, to go off to war and be there with men. Not the whole year, but in this time, he was to go out with them. So in this one decision, I think this happens. So we're basically going to take those four things and really look at the importance of them. From that one decision, what happens in David's life, we'll, we'll talk more about David. But I want to begin to talk about us and what it looks like to live in authentic community and how I think it, all of these are a part of it. So let's begin with family. Let's begin with family. Because this is the deal. Community's for every single one of us. It's not just a buzzword. It, it's a real life. It's a lifestyle and it's a lifeline in our lives. When things get tough, when we make mistakes to be real with. Communities for us. And as a Christ follower, we have family. If we look at what Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says, it says that we're, we're children. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female and female. Um, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's this unity of family that we have here in this room today, and you may be feeling alone. Like you maybe feel like you're fighting through this next phase in your life alone, and don't feel like that. Because there's a sense of family, and it takes, I think it takes a couple of things to really focus, focus on. And the first, I believe, is authenticity. I, I, I think it, it takes authenticity. I, I think family has to be authentic. I mean, who knows the good and bad and ugly about you? Probably your family. They, they know, they've been around the arguments that happen that you don't tell anybody else about. Like everything on the outside shining, yeah, they're a perfect family, they're a perfect couple, perfect guy, perfect girl. Yeah, but they, they didn't see what goes on. Like they, they see more than the, the Facebook highlights. They see behind the scenes. And it's got to be authentic. I mean, again, we talk about church, like sometimes it's the most unauthentic place that we can be. And our goal is to make it one of the most authentic places you can be, in the home and here together. And so it's got to be authentic. I think, secondly, it's got to be intentional. Like, we don't live in a world like where it's just, it just happens. We live in a world that we're so connected, but we're so disconnected. We're so in our own world. I mean, if you just look at physically how buildings are built and neighborhoods are created these days, like, we live way more in what Taryn and I call gated, gated communities. We go in gate, and I'm not blowing it because, like, we, we just moved from a house that had a gated, it was a gated, like, townhome feel, so not banging up on If you feel like you live in it, you're like, oh, dude, don't hit up them. I mean, we do the same thing, okay? So, but this is the world we live in. If you look at, like, our options, like, you, you go into a gate, and then you go into a garage, and, like, you don't see your, your neighbors much unless you're going out to pick up poop from your dog or you know, take the trash out, and you might catch them at the right time. But we live in this disconnected society where I see what you're doing, but I have no interaction. Like, a text is not community. It's not. Like, to really look at someone in the eyes, it's not feeling a brother's arms around you, a sister's arms wrapped around you. It's not the same. And, like, Scripture talks specifically about this. And if you're listening on podcasts right now, and like you don't make a commitment to being um, at, at, at church, just community with people and in anchor groups. I just encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 10 that says, don't forsake the gathering. 
Don't forsake the gathering because I think this is what it is. It, it must be intentional. It will not happen on its own. We must be intentionally engaging and being authentic. And I think that's the case right here for David. Like there wasn't that, there wasn't that intentionality of like, hey guys, like, you know, where he brought some people around him to, to again, be accountable to. But he avoided those things in this. And, and so being authentic, being intentional, I think is the elements of what it takes and realizing that we're sons and daughters. We've been adopted into a family and there becomes this great exchange here, which I think leads us to the, the next thing of responsibility. You know, I think David kind of pushed off his responsibility to go out there. When the kings went out to war and like, we don't like to talk about responsibilities. Everybody wants to get rid of responsibilities, not take new ones on, right? We're always in the place of, like, let's simplify. Let's cut this out of our life. Let's cut this out of our life. Well, as Christians, like, I hate to break it, we have responsibilities. Like, we have responsibilities. And I think one of the biggest responsibilities we have is to one another. And I think this spurs from our priorities. Like, if we understand that, like, that Christ is first in our life, then our, our Christ following responsibilities will be a priority. Because what you make a priority will lead you. Um, and, and just knowing that, like, in our lives, like, obedience to Christ is the foremost thing. It's the foremost thing in our lives. So, like, just o- o- being obedient to Scripture and following what God asks of us is, like, priority. That's our first responsibility. It's not, it's a responsibility to God, but there's also a responsibility to the body. So again, we don't want to look at those things. We don't want more responsibilities, but the truth of the matter is that they're a reality. They're a reality for David. It was the time when kings went off to war, and the decision to avoid that responsibility cost him greatly. It started in this place where it was so simple, and like we were just talking about intentionality and like responsibilities and priorities and truth of the matter is like we've all got excuses. We've all got really good excuses for why we're not authentic, right? Well, I got burned that time. Well, we make um, excuses for why we're not intentional. Well, you know, I can't, I don't have the time. Like, we've all got good excuses. But all it does is it's avoiding family. It's avoiding our responsibilities if we're not authentic and, and accountable in these things. And, you know, often we can look at other people and we often notice, okay, well, they're not meeting up to their responsibilities here or there. Like, if your boss misses their duties, I was talking to him friend this week in, um, in ministry, and he, he was taking on some interns, and he, you know, he had, he'd known I'd, I'd done this in the past, and he just wanted some advice on like, how to do this, and I'll say, first, man, let me, let me tell you a couple of things. Like, they're going to disappoint you, like, first of all. Um, you know, secondly, know this, that um, have higher expectations for yourself than you do for them. I think this is often where things get thrown out, because our focus becomes on everybody else meeting their responsibilities. Like, is my boss doing everything they're supposed to be doing? Is, is this person doing everything they're supposed to be doing? Is that, and so we're, getting looked, we're looking at everybody else, and we've got to remember, we start looking at husband or wife. Are they doing everything they need to be doing? Or is so-and-so? Or so, we get so focused on everybody else's responsibilities, and we forget, are, are we leading ourselves the right way? And for me, that's just living in obedience to Christ. Am I doing what God's called me to do? Am I taking the plank out of my own eye before I'm judging what everybody else is Doing, I think that it's such a key place for us to begin with this idea of responsibility. It's just leading ourselves well. David has all these people to lead. He's got all this. He's got respective nations, but in this moment, like he's not even leading himself well and doing what he's there for. A part of his responsibilities as a king 
And he puts those things off because our priorities will lead us. And there's a great exchange as we are adopted into the family of God. There's an exchange for what is temporary for what's eternal when it comes to our priorities. We exchange what, uh, our small vision of life for God's big vision of life. All things temporary for all things eternal. There's an exchange there. And for some of us, like we said yes to Jesus, but have we, have we made a, a change in our priorities Has Christ become the foremost way in which we make our decisions and the understanding of our our responsibility is to be obedient to him and everything flows out of that with our responsibility to one another. And um, I I think Romans 12 talks about it and just says, uh, just says just honor one another. Just have that respect for one another to really engage and and love one another and and value them above yourselves. I think that's a part of our responsibility as Christians and as a, a community. Um, Matthew 6, Jesus makes this very simple for us. Jesus is always making things simple and really complicated at the same time. Jesus in Matthew 6, says, um, just put the kingdom first. You know, seek his kingdom first. His righteousness, his right thoughts, his right actions. And all these things will be given to you as well. We always want all of these things to happen. But Jesus makes this real simple. Just, just put me first. Just put me first, and all those things are going to start working themselves out. And so you probably have a whole list of things that are behind that. But I just want to encourage you, engage your responsibilities today. En- engage your priorities today and say, God, what have I put before you? God, what have I put before the family of God? What have I put before being obedient to you? Is it my own comfort, God? Is it my, my, own, um, my own sin? What, what is it that I've put in front of you, God? Is it my career? Is it you name it? We've all got different ones. But the truth of the matter is that all of ours look very similar too many times. And that's the idea as we, we go further and further down on what, what Benai was just talking about in worship of, of just of being a unified body. That was the whole purpose of him going out is that sense of family and camaraderie and unity that what they could experience as they go out to battle. So let's continue, and let's look at, at, the, at the third point here is accountability. And this is like a dirty word. Like, this is, might as well be like a cuss word in the church, I feel like, because we don't, we want everybody else to have accountability except for us. We feel like everybody else needs it except for us. But the truth of the matter is that we do. We all need accountability, and making it a priority in our life um, it is a huge thing. Early on, from the very get-go of our church, the first thing we did was bring financial uh, accountability to our church. First thing we did before we even had like our uh, articles of incorporation. You couldn't even do that without having a, um, a board of directors. So that was the first thing we did is, is put that accountability in place. And I've probably got about four or five groups that I'm accountable to. Four or five groups, not not just like one or two people, but like groups of of men and women that I'm accountable to on a regular basis, weekly and monthly that I'm accountable to. Now I won't spin this all, but to say, like, I submit myself, to the, submit myself to this fully as much as I possibly can in any way. And the truth of the matter is that accountability, I, I think, is something that you begin, to, I think the older we get, something we realize is really important. I think wisdom and maturity over time, we realize, I need that in my life. David was, wasn't a young buck anymore. David had, had conquered. He had led thousands of men. He had been faithful in the little things, and now he's at a place where he's growing, and it's becoming less important to him, and it cost him greatly. Wisdom and maturity realize the importance and the value of accountability, and I think we do too. As a body of believers, I mean, to, to uh, want people, I think at our men's breakfast, this actually got brought up, like, can you 
are, are you being, can you be bold enough to ask others, like, keep me accountable in this. This is an area I'm struggling. Can you keep me accountable? And that's the desire of our anchor groups is that that would be a place to, to keep one another accountable and to build each other and encourage each other. And it doesn't work without a clear understanding of the first two, that we, we're responsible to one another, to love one another, to take the plank out of our own eyes, to not judge each other lest ye be judged, but to speak the truth to one another in love. I'm quoting scripture there. I'm not making that stuff up. That's, those are biblical principles. So it's, it, it's funny. It, it's, it's a tough place to be. Because you're caught between this, well, am I judging or do I need to speak the truth in love? And like the truth is that you, you don't need to judge, but you need to keep accountable. And you need to speak the truth in love and find those right opportunities to do that. And inviting one another into is the best way to do it as believers. Invite one another in to sharpen one another that we may grow through that. And that's something that, again, when you're down there for David, when he was down there rubbing shoulders with those guys, he was accountable to them. He was accountable. Like if David made a stupid decision, those men would probably, you know, speak up. He was in that place. And here he, he loses this uh, accountability because he, he's beginning to do all these secret things behind the scenes. And that the loss of accountability here, the avoidance of it. And then finally, I believe, uh, here it's ministry. It's ministry. He avoided ministry. And as Christ followers, like each one of us, like we have ministry. Like and God is wanting to do something not only in us, but through us. The reason he's brought us into relationship is first for us. It's for us that we could be adopted as sons and daughters and know and be known as we truly are. And and that's evolving. Like that's a process in which I I believe it's like a flower opening up over time. You know, at one moment, like there's life to the flower, but slowly but surely the bulb opens as the season comes. Um, so each one of us have ministry. I'm going to close with a couple of scriptures here that talk about this and just bring us to a decision in each of our lives to take a step forward in these areas. Because each of us have ministry. Let's go to the, the Romans passage first. Romans chapter 12 says this, For the grace, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There's so, there's so much to talk about here, but, but just briefly, like God had put David in this place to lead and to do it diligently. And he avoided that family accountability. And, and eventually, I think it led to the real purpose that God had raised him up was the ministry like, that is what had got him there, was, was the, the humility and service that he had given in the king's court and, and just doing, it's stepping up to every challenge that was in front of him. And, and I think he, he really misses a, a real opportunity here for ministry, and it cost him. And it, was, it all started from that one decision, that one little place of just kind of subtle sin. And, and like, God has wanted to, to, to bring us to this place where you understand your value. Like some of us, like you just, we don't, man. We, we often just kind of make ourselves, 
we were talking about this yesterday at the men's breakfast, and it was such a good conversation, just on humility. And, and this kind of, we're caught between this understanding of, and, and we, we were talking actually out of a passage of Chronicles about David and, and David's response to the Lord. It begins with, who am I? Who am I? And, and it's this perfect it's this perfect statement of humility. Of God is like, you're God, and I really don't deserve anything, but it's also a reminder of who we are in Christ today. It's a reminder of who we are. Well, we're sons and daughters that He's called and chosen and used, and we're broken, and we're messed up, but He's healing, and He's making us new, and He wants to use us. He wants to use us, He wants to flow through us. And, and whatever it is, if you're if your um, gift, let's just really practicalize the spiritual gifts for just a second that are talked about here. Like if your gift is taking out the trash over a while, like some of you guys, you may have roommates, and like, or even in a household, like somebody has duties after a while, like if someone doesn't take out the trash, it's going to start to stink, right? If someone doesn't take out the trash, like it's going to start to pile up in college. I, I hate to admit this, but at one point in college, like uh, I lived with four guys, and the trash can was about this high, and it was right next to a stove and a little countertop. And so it was nobody's responsibility. <laughs> and so what happened, it just slowly, at one point the trash can ended here, and then I kid you not, the trash was this high. Like whatever it is, whatever gift God's given us, we have to use it. Like, because as a body, like it's missing when we're not using it. It's missing. Like, if you're not encouraging, that encouragement is missing. If you're not leading, then that leadership is missing. Whatever yours, your gift might be, use it and use it diligently to the best of your ability as if under the Lord. God's wanting to bring us into this place where we understand our value and usefulness to the body. We have that responsibility and accountability to one another as body, as the body of Christ and its family. I just want to call us to a place of um, a decision-making point in each of our lives. And as the four of these things are are up here, I I want us to understand that each one of us are useful. And you've been called and chosen and and adopted into the family of God, and he wants to use you in in an incredible way. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're in a place where you just need to be reminded. You need to hear me say. You need to see the words of Scripture say. And be reminded that you're a son and daughter of God. And you feel lonely, but you were adopted into the family. And, and, and maybe you're here today and, and you've just neglected your responsibilities as a believer. You've neglected your time with God, like first in your relationship with Him. You've neglected that communication, that daily prayer life. You've neglected time to to read and study His Word. You've neglected some of those responsibilities to to the body, to be engaged with the body, to be a giver, to serve. Maybe you've neglected some of those things. And you just need to be reminded that, that... that you're useful, and God's given you a ministry to serve and to encourage, to lift up, to build up the body. Or maybe you're here today, and you've kind of been doing it on your own, and you're avoiding accountability. Uh, there hasn't been a place where you've been real. It hasn't been a place where you've been intentional, where you've been authentic. And today, like, we need some of us in each of these places, and we're probably scattered across this room. We all connected to different places today. Some of us, it's the ministry place. I believe it all starts at the family and flows from there. But you just need to be reminded, and all of us need to take a step forward today, whatever that might look like in your life. 
I want to challenge you to take that step. So I want to ask you to stand and we're going to pray and they're going to begin to lead us in worship. And I just want you to begin to ask yourself this question, God, what would it look like for me to take a step in this area? If I'm avoiding responsibility, God, what are you asking me? If I'm avoiding accountability, God, what are you asking me? God, if I'm trying to understand my identity in you, God, what are you asking me?